been looking at the life of Daniel. This little boy taken at 15 years old by this giant enemy army as one of the captives carried off to a foreign land. His parents probably killed his city, Jerusalem, leveled to the ground. And we've been following his life and we've been seeing what happens. Today, what we're going to see, we're going to see that his nation is still in exile. But God is still on his throne. And God's getting ready to do something big. Doesn't look like it. In fact, there's nothing that, that shows it. Let's take a look and see what God has for us in Daniel chapter 9. Pull out your sermon notes with me, if you will. You can pull out your Bible and turn to 9. We'll be looking at quite a few verses there. I want to talk to you about God's tool for changing my world. And it's prayer. That's what it is. Prayer is not just something that we do when we get desperate. Prayer is not to be just uh, some kind of rote thing that we do saying the same little words over and over. In fact, Jesus said that. He said, he said, that's what you've seen people do. That's not what I'm asking you to do. He told us how to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, and to bring God's kingdom to bear on our world. So let's look at this. Let's see what happened with Daniel, and let's see what God's doing with this whole idea of prayer and see if it can do something in our world today. The cycle of prayer. I want you to look at that first. It always starts with God. Write that down. It always starts with God. There's a principle in the Bible that I need you to understand this morning. And that is that everything always starts with God. Not only the universe. Not only creation as he breathed out billions of stars. And says let there be light. And not only all of the things that we have seen around us in that. But. Everything starts with God. The Bible says we love God because he first loved us. Did you know that? He loved you first. He, he, he didn't say, oh, well, that guy really loves me or that gal really loves me. I, I, I think I'll love him back. He loved you first. In fact, Jesus even said no one can come to God and come to me unless my father draws them. He's got to pull you. Did you know that you're not here by accident this morning? You say, oh, no, I know, my, my husband dragged me, my wife dragged me here, you know. No, you're here on purpose because it's God's purpose. He knew a billion, billion years ago, as he's the only being in the universe that's always been, he knew you would be here. And he longed for that, and he looked for that. I don't know why, we'll have to ask him, because it doesn't make sense to me why this immortal all-powerful being would long for us, but he did, and he knew you by name a billion years ago, and he loves you. He always starts with God. Prayer starts with God. We need, we need to understand that. It comes from him first. Daniel realized that. That's one reason why it's so important to study God's word, because there's 7,000 promises in there. Listen as Daniel grabs hold of one of them and begins to put it into play, all right? Chapter 9, verse 1, it was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord 
as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Daniel, he's learned from the word. He's got the scroll of Jeremiah. Remember I told you when we started this series that before the Babylonians came, there was Jeremiah the prophet. And he gave prophecies, thus says the Lord. And he would speak them out that God had given him. And it's so interesting. We still have that book, Jeremiah. The same scroll that Daniel was reading from is in your Bible today in the Old Testament. The powerful promises there. But Daniel is studying this and he sees that they're supposed to be in Babylon 70 years. This is what it says in Jeremiah 29, 10 through 12. Let me just read it to you. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days you will pray and I will listen. So he reads this verse. And the Bible just told us it was Daniel praying in the first year of the reign of Darius. That would be 538 B.C. Now Daniel, remember, he went to Babylon as a 15-year-old in 605 B.C. 15 years old probably. Somewhere right in that range. And it's now 538 B.C. Now you have to count the opposite way because it's before Christ. You know, it's 605, 604, 603. That's how it moves, right? So it's moved down to 538. That's been 67 years. How old is Daniel? He's 82. He's 82 at least. 82. And they've been in Babylon for 67 years. He's an old man. He knows he's not going to live that much longer and somehow a, a copy of Jeremiah's scroll, his prophecy, he, he's probably kept it. Maybe he hid it away. <clears throat> but somehow he's got that. And God says 70 years you'll be there. And this enormous scriptural insight, this promise from God is what Daniel bases everything on. That's why prayer always starts with God. You see, God has a desire in his heart, a lot of those he's expressed through his word that's been given to us over thousands of years through many different people, but all of them inspired. That word inspired in the Bible means moved about. It's the word for when, when a, a, a ship, the sails of a ship catch the wind. The wind inspires the ship and moves it in the direction that he wants. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit using the personalities of all these different people, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he gives us his word, a word that's trustworthy, 7,000 promises, and as we grab hold of that and we pray that back to him, we see miracles happen. Now, there was nothing going on 67 years into a 70-year captivity that would indicate that anything was changing. I mean... Even the Jewish people, they had their own quarter of the city now in Babylon. They were settled in. They, were, they had jobs. You know, they were doing their usual thing. They were marrying. And they said, oh, Babylon, I guess 
for the rest of our days as far as we can see. Millennia into the future we'll be here and Daniel sees no. God said 70 years. There's nothing in circumstances to make it look like it should be 70 years. Nothing's changed in the last years. These 67 years they've looked the same all the way through and they still look the same. Let me just as a little aside for just a moment. Why were they there in Babylon for 70 years? Let me just tell you why. Because they had disobeyed God. See, that's what Jeremiah the prophet said. If you don't turn back to God, there's going to be consequences. If you don't turn back to his word, there's going to be consequences. And back in the book of Leviticus, Moses wrote the book of Leviticus. And God gave Moses some laws for his people. And one of them was to take care of the earth that they were inheriting. And and, and he said to them, when you come into this promised land, here's what I want you to do. I want you, you farmers and all of you that, that, that work the land, which was just about everybody. It was an agricultural society. I want you to work like crazy for six years. I want you to farm that land like crazy for six years. But every seventh year, I want you to let it lie fallow. I want you to not work it. I want you to give it rest. I want you to give it a Sabbath. And it's a Sabbath for you too because that's going to show you because you obey my word and, I, and watch how I fulfill this to you that I'm God that you can go a whole year without doing any of that and I will still provide for you I will make the other six years so profitable that you won't even believe it sounds kind of like Chick-fil-A or something doesn't it you know it's like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, which I always want on Sunday by the way um, but but if I'll just I'll show you I show you how this is going to work. But they had been in, when Jeremiah the prophet came on the scene, they had been in the promised land 490 years and they had never obeyed that command once. Not once. Not even in the first year after, that first seven years after Moses. They never did it. They went into the promised land. Moses was already dead. They didn't do it. They didn't fall. So you add that up. 490 years. One out of seven. 70 years, okay? And, and it's interesting because in Leviticus chapter 26, let me just read it to you. It says, if you don't do this, then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths all the days of desolation while you are in your enemy's land. See, God said it. He meant it. He wasn't kidding. You know, when he speaks these words to us, when he gives us his book, it's because he loves us. He's not kidding about it. He's serious about it. But I I want you to see what God was doing. So it begins with God and then God trains us for his great work. There's something about prayer that that God is doing in us. See, I find a lot of people are confused at this point because they read their Bibles. and, And in their Bibles it says what God is going to do. And so they say, great, God is going to do that. Oh, I'm just going to sit here and watch. It's going to be so cool. But see... Daniel could have done that because God said you'll be in Babylon 70 years. He could have gone, oh, that's cool. I can't, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. Let's watch what these last three years are like. But Daniel understood more. See, God says, I want you to be a part of my plan. I told you I'm going to do it. Now you pray it into being. Why would he do that? I heard an old man speak one time and it blew my mind and it changed my world view and he said 
God instituted prayer because he's teaching us something. This is boot camp. We're in boot camp. And those of us who are believers, he's teaching us how to rule and reign forever. He said, those of you who overcome, you'll sit on my throne with me. You're going to rule. You're going to reign. And there's something about joining him in his work that you get practice, that you get to work at it, that you get to move. And, and he says, that's why God said, Jesus said in, in, in the model prayer, he said, here's how I want you to pray. Our fathers are, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he goes on and he starts saying, come kingdom of God. It's actually like command form. Come kingdom of God. Be done will of God right here. I see what your will is from this promise. Come will of God here now. Do it. And keep asking. And keep asking. Jesus has all these parables. Don't stop. Keep on. Keep on. Keep on asking. So here's how that, that great work, here's how it works. We hear from God. Write that down again. We hear from God and we get the promise from him about what he wants to do. That's why it's so important to study scripture. By the way, if you say, well, it's really hard for me to do that, you know on our website at cof.church that my father... Dr. Daman Shook, he has a daily time with God that he shares with you from God's word, reads God's word to you and, and shares that and you can even get that as a podcast, you can even take that on your way to work or whatever and, and listen in the car. I want you to, to get the, take advantage of that, okay? So we hear from God and then we learn to fight spiritually. There's no doubt that this, this spiritual life is a warfare, right? I mean, I, that's one of the things that sometimes I think we don't tell people enough about in American Christianity because, you know, we used to have this thing that we would show people and it was like your life and it's all chaotic, it's a, it's a circle. And then there's a throne in the middle because you're on the throne of your life. When you make Jesus, when you put him on the throne of your life and you let him be in charge, that's asking him to be your Lord and Savior. And then it shows everything all lined up. And, and, and so that's how everything comes into order. There's a little bit of a sense of that, and I get that. And that is how you put Jesus on the throne of your life. That's how you become a believer. But, you know, I think maybe we should make it even more disordered after that because things go haywire sometimes. Have you noticed that? Did you think that you were going to come to Jesus and then it was going to be like, now life, oh, God's favor, oh, it feels so good. No, there's a warfare going on, and sometimes people didn't tell you. So it's kind of like you come to Christ in American Christianity and you're serious about it and you step into that journey with Christ and you're thinking you're on the beach in the sun and what you don't realize is you're on the beach at Normandy and it's going bloom, bloom, bloom. Oh, the sun feels so good. What is that stuff going on, you know? And, and that's the thing is like there's this warfare that happens. So we have to learn to fight spiritual. Look, look what... Uh, Daniel did verse 3 so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes what's up with the burlap and ashes he's identifying with the destruction of Jerusalem he's remembering the ashes there's nothing left but ashes God the burlap what is, what is that that's what the exiles were wearing they were just having to use burlap sacks for cloth and they that lived out still in Jerusalem in the ruined city the ones in Babylon had it way better. They were starving to death out there. And he was identifying with them. Now fighting spiritually will always be from our knees. 
It always will be. That's where it starts. And then this is the crazy part. While we're on our knees, and you couldn't do this except in the spiritual world, on our knees, we stand on God's promises. And we see that next. Look what, look what Daniel said in verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. You always do what you say you will do. You always keep your promises. Again, he begins with God. Did you see that? Oh, God, you're great and awesome. It's the same as Jesus said. Start with that. A lot of times we start with our problem. Oh, God, my problems are great and awesome. Look at my problems, God. And he's going, why don't you start with me? If you see me really well, it's going to make a huge impact on how you see your problems. It's interesting, that word awesome. God, you are great and awesome. Write this down. It's a Hebrew word. Hebrew lesson for the day. Y-A-R-E. With the little, this is, it's transliterated. I didn't put it in Hebrew for you. That would be a little difficult. But yare, yare. You know what it means? Dreadful. It literally means dreadful. Oh God, you are great and dreadful? See, we don't always think of God as dreadful, do we? Does God fill you with dread? Some of us, if we grew up in you know, certain homes and stuff, maybe we see God like we saw our Father that filled us with dread, and we're going like, oh no. You this is the kind of dread that should fill God's enemies with dread. Not you, okay? Jeremiah put it this way. He said, God, I've got all these people coming against me, but you stand with me like a dread champion. I want you to just imagine that in a minute. I mean, for a minute. You know, you just think, a dread champion. It's like, I don't know, you know, no Game of Thrones character could be more dread champion. You know, it's like, dread champion. It's God. It's God standing beside you. What does that look like in the spiritual realm? I can't even imagine it. You're great and yare. You're dreadful. And then, well, let me just say one thing about that. You know, in America today, we've kind of lost the dread part, the awesome part. Because most of the time we think of God kind of like our little buddy, you know. Way back when I used to watch Gilligan's Island. Anybody ever seen that? You know, they're still showing the rerun, so... Even, you know, oh, Gilligan was Skipper's little buddy, you know. It's like, oh, God, my little buddy. I'm so glad you're with me today, little buddy. And you're going to be a good day, little buddy, you know. It's like, you know, he's not your little buddy, okay. He's the dread champion, but he does love you. And he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's both. Daniel, he, he nailed it. He got that in his prayer. He got both of these, Okay. And then we agree with God's decisions. This is a tough one sometimes for all of us. Verse 7. Lord, you are in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. You ever said that to God? You're right about this. You're right. You know, what you say about America is right, God. What you say about my life is right. But I'm covered with shame. Now... Here's another, one another quick Hebrew lesson. Write this down. B-O-S-H. 
E-T-H. That, those words covered with shame. Covered with shame. Now you have to be careful when you say this Hebrew word because it's boshet. Okay? So be careful. Boshet. <laughs> it is. I'm just telling you. It comes from bush. Which means shame and confusion. Some, some of the... Um, some of the other translations say our faces are, are covered with confusion. Or we've got faces of confusion. What is, what, is, what is that trying to say? To be confused. To be ashamed. It, it's so interesting. Because he says this word several times in there. And, and in America today that's not ashamed. Shame is not a politically correct word anymore is it? But what he's saying is when you sin... There is a genuine shame that we should have. But we've lost it in America. And so instead of shame, you know what we feel? Confused. I want you to think about any area in America that seems really off and confused. Like what is going on with this? Why would someone say this? You know, why would someone say that... that you could, you, you could take a baby that's almost ready to be born and kill it in the womb and think that that's okay. And it would have been viable even. Why, why would they say that? Because that's confusing. It's a woman's right. I don't want to get into all this. But a woman's right to kill that late term baby. I'm just going to use something that's really really difficult to look at and you look at that say that's that's confusing I, I, I don't see why we would see that why would we think that why, why would we think that baby's viable and, and some women are having it in the NICU and some people are taking its life it's just like I don't get that that's confusing there's a lot of other areas like that this is confusing where we should be shamed we're not shamed we're confused our faces we have a face of, uh, of confusion. And, and it, it's not politically correct to talk. Even in the church. The church doesn't like to talk about shame anymore. Oh, that's like Old Testament. Now we're under grace. We don't. But the thing is, sin leads to shame. It does. And, and it's so important that we understand that. I mean, America right now is mired down in Bullshit, right? It, it's true. And, and so it, it's kind of, it freaks us all out, right? So this is true of all of us. Look what Daniel goes on to say. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far, wherever ever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you, Oh, Lord, we and our kings, princes, ancestors, pretty much covers it, right? Are covered with shame. That's the same word again, Boshet. Because we have sinned against you, but the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets, all Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. 
So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, Leviticus, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly like you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we've refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore the Lord has brought the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things for we did not obey him. One of the major hindrances to our prayers is we don't go, you're right. You know, if America is destroyed and we live through it, we just have to say, you're right. It, it, in our own life, we look at the things in our life and we say, God, how did you get me? How did, how did, God, I'm so mad at you. How did you get, and he's like going, I uh, don't know that that wasn't your choices. You know, that was, we've got to look at all of that. How many times have we caught ourselves, Lord, why did you do this to me? Where is God? Why does he allow these things to happen to me? But, but Daniel has learned that God, he never does anything wrong. And it's we who have to adjust to him. Verse 15, O oh Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness in view of all your faithful mercies. Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. This is quite a prayer. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Verse 18 kind of sums it up. Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy, of who you are. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen. Oh, Lord, act for your own sake. Do not delay. Oh, my God, for your people and your city bear your name. Daniel is professing a pattern of sin. You see, 490 years. It didn't just happen overnight. He said, my ancestors sinned. My granddaddy sinned. My daddy sinned. I sinned. My kids, my grandchildren will do it. And it's deliberate and it's wicked. A lot of words we, we don't use, you know, unless we're going to see it on Broadway, wicked, you know. But we say, I goofed or kind of blew it. My bad, right? And God's going, no, it was just deliberate sin. We make this plea not because we deserve it, but because of your mercy. You see, in America, we've come to this place where we think, if my good can just outweigh my bad, if I can just help my fellow man, if I can just do... Did you know, you're talking to a being that sees to the core of you. Are you kidding me? I mean, I don't want you to see to the core of me. There's some pretty disgusting things in there. There's some thoughts in there. There's some things. In, I mean, what is that? 
You see, you're going to say to this being, well, I think I'm pretty good, and so you should do this for me. I think I've gone to church seven times in a row, so you should. And he's looking at you all the way to the very core. It's just ludicrous, really, right? And sometimes even we approach God's promises this way, you know. It's like, let's suppose I said, I'm going to give you $10 tomorrow. You come by the office, I'll give you $10. That's a promise, right? When you come by the office tomorrow, you say, okay, hand me the bucks, you know. That's kind of how some of us treat God. Like, I'm going to do this. Okay, God, here it is, you know. It's more like, God, we don't deserve this. But I see your promise here, and I can't even believe it. And it doesn't even look like it. But you're so big, and you're so strong, and you're so amazing, and you're so full of mercy. You're the dread champion, but it's like the dread champion who's my father. When he takes off all that armor, he just hugs me up close, and he cares about me. I don't get this, but I love this. Daniel is humble, but he's bold. He's not flattering God. He's not trying to earn favor with God by going, oh, I'm such a worm. You know, he's just speaking truth. It's kind of the difference between cats and dogs. I read this the other day, and I thought, I have a cat and I have a dog, and this is exactly right. A dog looks at its owner and thinks, you feed me, you take care of me, you protect me. (laughs) You must be a God. A cat looks at its owner and thinks, you feed me, you take care of me, you protect me. I must be a God. (laughs) Right? Right? You know I'm right. So I'm going to go pee in the garage again. That's what my cat does. God takes care of us because he's God. We're not God. We don't deserve it. Daniel walks this line perfectly again. You know, it's funny the way life turns out sometimes. Because... When you've given your life to God and you think, God, this is the direction and I feel this dream from you and I'm standing. Even when you stand on his promises, sometimes it's, I mean, Daniel has had a a crazy life, hasn't he? And it's been a life full of pain. I mean, we just got him out of the lion's den, didn't we? And a life full of heartache as is even those people around him that he's loved and cared for. They turn against him because they're jealous and they want, what is that? You know, and I see that sometimes. Like, one of the dreams that I always had as a young teenager was to be a missionary. And I married a girl that her dream was to be a missionary. So that worked out pretty good, you know. But I never thought we'd be a missionary to Hockley, Texas, honestly. I mean, I'm not saying Hockley doesn't need it. You know, we might even skip over into Cyprus some, right? Waller. But let me tell you something. We spent a lot of years on, on the, in Mexico City and other places. But God brought us back here. But God had a plan all along. And because of you, community of faith, <laughs> literally miracles are happen, happening around the globe right now. And we're supporting missionaries from our staff that we've sent out that are actually way better than Laura and I ever were. It wasn't what I had planned, though. It wasn't what I thought. And you know, even the life of being a pastor, there's a lot more pain. Being a parent, there's a lot more pain in that than we anticipated. You know, uh, getting married, we won't even go there, all right? Because 
No, I won't even, let's don't even touch on that today. Next point, we keep fighting on our knees for as long as it takes. See, some of us were kind of like, God, you've kind of disappointed me. I don't understand. It's not here yet. It hasn't happened. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I thought was going to happen. Daniel says, I went on praying. And the Hebrew there, I went on and on. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. Let me just tell you real quickly, there are things going on in the spiritual realm that we can't even imagine. In Daniel chapter 10, I just want to read you this. Just listen to this. He's praying again, and he's been fasting for three weeks. And verse 12, he says, he says an angel appeared to him, like it's getting ready to happen in this one. The angel appeared and said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day, three weeks ago, that you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. And I have come to answer your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, still battling. You say, Mark, what does that mean? I have no idea, and neither do you, right? It just means there's something going on in that spirit realm. There's hierarchies of angels, and there's hierarchies from the evil one. We don't know all about that. You've been praying. I think like Daniel, you were hurt on day one. You say, but it's been 30 years Oh my gosh, what must be going on in the spirit realm? Right? Don't stop. We stop too quickly. Number three, God's will becomes our reality. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. The angel Gabriel in the Old Testament, the same one that appeared to Mary. These guys hang around a while, don't they? Right? And... It says that Daniel's praying at the time of the evening sacrifice, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, same time when Jesus died. Is that interesting, the sacrifice? Which is the same time that Jesus would die. Listen to what he says, verse 22. He explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I'm here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Hope you'll get that this morning. You are very precious to God. And can I just tell you that God does that work and he brings the Israelites back in the 70 years. He changes the heart of an emperor, Cyrus, he, he cha- who's not a believer. He, he does uh, amazing things. Let me just bring it down to us for a minute. What about us? And we'll close with this. What about America? This is why... I think church history is so valuable. I love history, especially church history. And I also see how we can, you know, do things to make history look different than it really was. It's hard, it's hard to get down what really happened. Let me tell you just a, a, a little bit about church history in America. After the Revolutionary War, there was a huge moral decline. Secular forces against the church came like crazy. Would the young nation survive? Five million Americans lived in the continent 
300,000 were alcoholics out of 5 million. Women, for the very first time, became afraid to go out at night because rape was so rampant. Crime was out of control. The church was in decline. The young were turning away from God. They took a poll at Harvard. At that time, there was not one believer among the student body. They took a poll at Princeton. Two believers in the whole student body. At Princeton, they burned the Bible in the public square. In 1796, a friend wrote to George Washington. And he says this, Our affairs seem to be leading to some crisis Another revolution. Something that I cannot see or conjecture. Washington replies, your sentiment accords with mine. What will be is beyond my foresight. Chief Justice John Marshall wrote that the church was too far gone to ever be redeemed. Tom Paine wrote, Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. In New England, a preacher of a little church by the name of Isaac Bacchus got his church to begin to pray. And then he got churches around to begin to pray for America. And then he, it, it started to spread and it, and, and it began to move and it began to grow. And there was really no one person that you could really point to in this, what was called the second great awakening. Where literally millions out of the five million came into relationship with Christ. And eminent historian J. Edwin Orr says, the second great awakening was the primary force, just hear me, that led to the world missionary movements, and though you don't hear about it often, to the abolition of slavery. You see, everybody knew that slavery was wrong. Everybody knew it, but our faces were covered with confusion and shame. We didn't know how to be ashamed. It was too lucrative, too much money there, too much going on there, right? But when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes you on the inside. And he gives you a new power. And you can say, I reject money. I reject this to do what's right. I'm going to do what's right. Not what's expedient. Not what's going to bring in the bucks. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Do you think our, our America today needs that? You see, we're in the same place. It's not like it hasn't happened before. Someone's going, like, never been like this before. You, you, did you live in 1790? No. It's so important to know history. Our church is such a crazy church. I love pastoring you. I love you guys. Because we have come from so many different backgrounds. I mean, about every other Sunday, someone comes up to me and like they'll say in my ear, Trump is the Antichrist. And then someone will come up about five minutes later and go, oh my God, thank God for Trump. He's the Messiah. And I'm going like, Thank you, Lord, for the ability to pastor these people, you know. <laughs> Politicians aren't going to save us. I don't care if it's Obama or it's Trump. I don't care who it is. This is going to save us. The church of God 
is going to change it. That's the only hope. Strange things are happening. Washington's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. But what if, this was a little church out in the middle of nowhere that's, what, what if a, a church in Hockley, Texas says, let's take that seriously. Let's begin to pray for this. Could it happen again? I don't know. Is God God? He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and if they will turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Do you believe that? He didn't say if you vote right in Washington, if you get the right person, if this happens, if all this, if we can just, uh, 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 uh. Would you close your eyes with me? What about your little world? Let's take it down from America all the way to you, that son or daughter. Are you fighting for them? It's God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Did you know that? The Bible says that in Timothy. It's God's will that none should perish. But people perish all the time. People die without Jesus all the time. Why? Because we didn't grab them in prayer and finish. I want you to finish with those people that you care about. You don't let them go without a fight. And if you fight, you're going to see the miracle. 